Good evening, saints. We are glad to have you here. Um, I'm excited Cole has also started a, a series on Revelation, but uh, maybe now everybody has their fill of end time stuff, so we're running kind of kind of sparse here today. Uh, but we're glad you're here. We're glad that you are, are joining us as we study something very, very important. Uh, we've been doing this series, uh, the, the fundamentals of everything, and we've uh, kind of divided all of history into five stages. We started with creation, and then we moved to the fall. Then we looked at uh, redemption, which was the long, slow process of the preparation for and then the coming of Christ in his first coming. Then we studied proclamation, which is the stage we're in now. And now we're looking at what we're calling restoration. That is, uh, what are the things that are going to happen uh, in the end times uh, when Christ returns? Uh, last time we were together, I kind of rushed through uh, several things all, all combined together. Uh, because I wasn't sure how much uh, longer I'd be with you. I tried to cover as much possible as I could. And basically, last time we studied this topic, we, we, we simply uh, said that Jesus is going to return to restore everything. That's kind of our, our summary. Uh, that, that's keeping it real simple. Uh, and we emphasize Jesus is going to return and that uh, the restoration of everything uh, involves a lot of things. It involves a revelation of Christ. Uh, he conquers his enemies. Uh, there's a judgment or judgments, plural, de- depending on uh, which stance you take of all nations. There's reward and punishment. There's glorification of believers. There's Christ handing the kingdom over to his father. These, all these elements that are involved in the restoration of everything. And today we're going to look at a kind of an element of this, and it's really kind of how things end up. Uh, as best we can, we're, we're trying to stay out of uh, some of the weeds, uh, some of the uh, uh, stickier and messier passages uh, as we do this series. The reason is we're trying to cover a whole lot in a short amount of time, so uh, we can't uh, be distracted by every uh, little detail. And so we're, we're going to use, uh, for this topic that we're looking at today, Second Peter as our guide. Uh, and we'll reference some other passages. I'm not sure if we will, uh, how far we'll get in this lesson. We'll, we'll see. Um, uh, but this lesson has to do with the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, and this is kind of a, a topic you don't hear a ton about, uh, but is really central in understanding uh, how is everything finally going to end up. Uh, and I've used this illustration before, but I find it so poignant uh, that the way you believe things will end determines how you live in the present. And, and the example I always give of this, uh, uh, partially because I like Vikings, is from the Norse mythology, uh, which is the Viking mythology. Now, th- here's what happens 
uh, or I'll tell you how Vikings lived and then the reason why they lived that way. So the most glorious thing for a Viking to do is to die a brave, bloody death on the battlefield. Like, that's the ideal for them. Like, Vikings, you know, when they went to sleep at home, they were worried, like, oh, my goodness, what if I die of old age in my house? Like, that would be awful. You know, that's the worst possible scenario. Best case scenario, they die a brave, bloody battle, uh, in a brave way on a bloody battlefield. That's the ideal for them. So why is that? Why was that idea? Well, they they believe that if you died a good, brave, noble, glorious, violent death in the battlefield, then you would go to uh, what is uh, the heavenly mead hall of Valhalla. Uh, so that, that that's kind of a, a big you know mead hall where where they would uh, feast and and celebrate uh, with the Norse gods. Uh, awaiting a day called Ragnarok, which was a, a, a time when forces of, of chaos would be unleashed and they would battle all the brave heroes and gods in, in Valhalla. And what would ultimately happen is the most glorious thing for a Viking is that they would all die in a glorious battle. So the forces of chaos win. So... Everything in their history is is moving towards best case scenario. You die a brave, violent death in a heavenly battle. So on earth, what's the ideal? It's to die a brave, bloody death on the battlefield. So like their end determined how they lived and what they pursued in life. And in Christianity, having a proper vision of the end times leads us to live properly in the present, to go towards what is going to occur. So uh, look with me, if you would, at Second Peter, as we look at kind of what happens in the end times in terms of uh, this new heavens and new earth. We're going to be in Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 10 and go through verse 13. Hear now the word of the Lord from Second Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
So we're going to use this Second Peter passage kind of as a template of to understanding what happens in the new heavens and the new earth. And Second Peter isn't the only place we'll be looking at, but we're using the way it's described here as a template. We won't cover everything in Second Peter. We won't, certainly won't cover all of the scriptures that cover this topic, but we're going to hopefully give you a good handle on what goes on here. Uh, and, and I'm just going to give us four things uh, we're going to try and cover. We'll, we'll see how we do time-wise. First thing, and I'm going to list them and then we'll look at them in more detail. First thing we see in this passage is the heavens and earth will pass away. Heavens and earth will, will pass away. Uh, secondly, New heavens and a new earth are coming. A new heaven and a new earth are coming. We, we, you know, we see that at the end for a new heavens and a new earth are, are coming. We're waiting for that. Uh, you know, earlier, he, he, several times he mentions, you know, the heavens, uh, being melted, uh, things dissolving, you know, the earth being exposed. So the heavens and the earth will pass away. A new heaven and a new earth are coming. And then thirdly, righteousness will dwell in the new heavens and the new earth. Righteousness will dwell in the new heavens and the new earth. That's a, a, a key idea here. Uh, the thing we're waiting for in the new heavens and the new earth is a place in which righteousness dwells. And then fourthly, this expectation for the new heavens and the new earth motivates holy and godly living. Uh, we see that in the passage. Uh, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Okay, so th those are the four points we're, we're going to run through and look through uh, to hopefully give you a, a little clearer of a picture of what is to come in terms of the new heavens and new earth. So first of all, the heavens and the earth will pass away. Uh, this isn't an idea that's uh, new to Second Peter. I'm going to read some other passages to you. If you're a note taker, you can jot them down. I'm probably not going to have time to look at all of them if you're a page turner. But listen closely. Isaiah 65, 17 says this. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. That's a, a very uh, 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 important passage looking at uh, Old Testament predictions of the new heavens and the earth and the fact that the heavens and the earth will pass away. It says in Isaiah they won't be remembered or come into mind anymore. Uh, Romans 8 says uh, the creation... Now, we covered creation a long, long time ago in this series, but uh, Genesis tells us in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So uh, the, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. It's interesting, in Romans 8, uh, this new heavens and new earth is associated with the appearance of the church in glory. Very interesting idea. Uh, the creation wakes with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, 
not of its own will, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. In, in this passage, it begins to hint a little bit at uh, why the old world needs to pass away. It's subject to futility. It is existing in a state of decay. We, we've been thinking about this as we're selling our house. You know, you're, you're, you're looking through all the stuff and you, you look at all the stuff that you repaired when you moved in and that now you look at it and what happened to it? And in a state of decay. It's, it's, it, the, the fix we applied five years ago is now needs to be fixed again. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the question, what do you have to do uh, for your house to run down? Absolutely nothing. It'll do it on its own. What do you have to do for your health to run down? Absolutely nothing. It'll run down on its own. Same thing. What do you have to do for your spiritual life to deteriorate? Absolutely nothing. It'll do it on its own. So we live in this world where decay is the norm. Uh, Hebrews 1 refers to the heavens and the earth perishing. Uh, they'll be rolled or folded up like a garment. Uh, Hebrews 12, 26 through 29 says this. Uh, this, is a, this is a big passage dealing with at that time, his voice shook the earth. This is speaking of uh, God talking uh, to, to Moses. Uh, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Whew. So the, the, this Hebrews 12 passage uh, talks about a, a shaking of uh, the heavens and, and the earth. Um, and, you know, almost think like, you know, if you've got a, a, a mat or like, a, you know, a, a little foot mat that you keep by your entryway and you go out and you you, don't, you beat it and just all the, the junk falls out of it. That's kind of what I think of in this. They're, they're shaking it and, and the heavens and earth and all this Junk is falling out. For some reason, I also think of the old cartoons where they like hold the kid upside down and shake him and all the change falls out. Uh, so, so it's, it's saying this shaking is removing of uh, these temporary things so that only that which is permanent remains. And what's, what he refers to that is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's what believers are going to receive. Now, there's some de debate uh, between uh, th this passing away of uh, the heavens and the earth, there's kind of uh, one view that, that says, uh, you know, there's uh, it's kind of the old heavens and the old earth, or the, for us right now, the current heavens and the current earth, they're thrown in the trash. And then it started over. Uh, what, what's made is, is something entirely new. Um, 
And then there's another view that, that says this is referring to a radical change and renewal that occurs. So it, it's, it's kind of the, there was the old version and now there's this new version, but it, it's a recreation after a purging or purifying or refining process. Now of the two, I think the second view is better. Uh, which is good because that's the view Cole took this morning from the, the, the pulpit. You know, he, he, he said, he said this. He said it's not a doing away with, with the world or, or things like that. Uh, and, you know, we see this especially in the Hebrews passage. Uh, this, this shake, this pass away, this burn, burn up. So like the, the earth is shaken and, and all this temporary stuff is removed. Even in our passage of, uh, Second Peter that talks about these, this burning and melting. You know, it almost seems like the purifying process of gold where you melt it down and you remove the impurities and then you make something new out of, out of what has been purified. And, and I think there's another analogy we have that is, uh, you know, I think that eventually there is going to be a new Seth. Okay. That, that is the, the current Seth, the, the old Seth will pass away. What currently exists will be replaced by something new and better. Now, I hope that isn't by elimination of everything that is, is, is currently here, but by a recreation or a restoration that occurs after a purification. Okay, so you see, you kind of get this view. The old's got to pass away, uh, but it, we don't believe it's a, an entirely chunking and giving out, but this radical purification process that occurs to then enter a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, so that's the first point. Heavens and the earth will pass away. And, and this is used in Scripture to say, don't get too attached to this stuff. It's not going to last. Then secondly, a new, a new heavens and a new earth are coming. Right now, earth is in rebellion. Earth is filled with immorality. Earth is filled with deception. The earth is filled with wickedness and idolatry. And as a consequence of the sin here, there is sorrow and pain and mourning and decay and death. And something needs to happen in order for the presence of a holy, holy, holy God to live here. That unrighteousness needs to be dealt with. Another reason uh, there we need a new heaven and a new earth is um, it needs to be made new for it, in order for it to be desirable for eternity. You know, sometimes I think, you know, people talk about immortality like it's a great thing. And I'm just like, think of all the awful stuff you would have to watch go on if you live forever. If you, if you live through the Second World War and the First World War and the Civil War, and you just keep going back and think of all the wickedness you would have to endure if you had, uh, you know, even a, a very, very, very long life. In order for an eternal state to, to be desirable, this place needs to be radically transformed. Now, uh, one of the questions that kind of comes up as you're going uh, through this topic, you might say, okay, 
Um, and by the way, I'm about to go out on thinner ice uh, as I deal with this. Uh, and, and, and what I'm kind of going to throw out to you is a, a little bit of a uh, interpretive leap. This is one of those things, you know, Cole talked this morning. He, he said, it, you know, as you study end times or revelation, you know, there, there, there are certain things you write in pencil. There are certain things you write in pen. There are certain things you write in blood. Okay, this is one of the, uh, uh, you know, pencil things and keep your eraser handy. Um, but, you know, one of the questions we ask is, well, we can understand why a new earth is needed, but why would heaven need to be remade? So, it, it, you know, we understand all the bad stuff of earth, but what about heaven? Um, in this, I, I think this is uh, talking a little bit about the heavenly realms. I think a lot of times when we think of heaven, we think of the new heaven. I think a lot of our, our thinking of, of heaven is either referring to new heaven, the new heavens or what Christ terms as paradise. Uh, when we think of uh, the, the heavens, one of the things we need to remember is not only has earth been a place of rebellion, but so has heaven. Where uh, was Lucifer before he fell? It was an angel of God that turned around. Uh, 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 one of the books uh, that really emphasizes this is the book of uh, Ephesians. He said, uh, Paul in it says, Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, principalities, and cosmic forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So one of the things we see is not only in the earth, but in the heavens, there has been rebellion against God, and there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth where the possibility of that rebellion no longer exists. Where all those who have rebelled and not submitted to God have been taken care of. Okay. Remember, take that with a mountain of salt, write it in pencil. Uh, but that, that to me makes sense of not why, not just, do, we don't just need a new earth, but we also need a new heaven. And both are made new. Uh, let's look at uh, Revelation 21 together real quick, or real slow. We'll, we'll take our time. Uh, Revelation 21. All right, now we're, uh, you know, moving into Revelation uh, always getting more and more weeds, and I'm going to I'm, I'm going to read a lot of this. Uh, so I, I hope you uh, track with me because this is uh, Revelation 21. I think may even be describing. Um, well, we'll get into that. I don't want to. I don't want to give you spoilers. Uh, Revelation 21, beginning in verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them 
as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me and said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Its radiance was like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. Uh, and, and it keeps going kind of in describing these uh, beautiful gems and crystals, all, all these things that are uh, adorning the new Jerusalem. Skip down to verse 22 with me. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring it into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So, so we have here this description in, in Revelation 21 uh, of this, uh, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And then what I see as happening when it describes this descending of a new Jerusalem. Uh, the new Jerusalem is coming from where? heaven but where's it coming to earth now what makes heaven desirable what makes heaven a place we long for is the presence of god when it says that there's a new heaven and a new earth and a new jerusalem coming down in which uh, God dwells. There's no temple there. Why? Because the presence of God is there. And, and then the announcement of this coming down is saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God 
is with men. What is that? That is a marriage of heaven and earth unified and almost consummated by the presence of God himself. So then the new heavens and the new earth is a suitable dwelling place for God to exist. A holy and a righteous God. Uh, so so we, we, we see this new heaven and, and new earth, uh, where is in our current reality, uh, they, heaven and earth seem quite separated, don't they? After the, the remaking of the world, the new heavens and the earth are going to be joined by the coming down of this new Jerusalem. Uh, so we see the heavens and the earth will pass away. The new heavens and the new earth are coming and righteousness dwells in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, in our second Peter passage, it, it talked about uh, we're we waiting for this new heaven and earth, and that's a place where righteousness is going to live. Uh, what does Revelation 21 tell us? It tells us you know, that those who are in a right relationship with God, those who are in the Lamb's book of life, if you look at other parts of Revelation, will be able to enter in, but those who are unrighteous, and it has several lists describing them, will not be allowed in, and nothing impure is going to be let in. And as we read through Revelation, one of the things we've got to remember is that it repeatedly keeps using this lamb word. Jewish thinking, you think of lamb, what do you think of? Sacrifice. So the, the, the reason why it, it keeps being referred to that is because uh, without the lamb, we don't get to enter into the new heavens and the earth, new earth. We don't get to enter into the new Jerusalem. It is those who are covered by the blood of the lamb, those who have been purified by the lamb that are considered righteous in God's eyes and that can enter into a right relationship with him. It says righteousness dwells in the new heaven as earth. One of this, that idea partially has to do with the God with us. Uh, the dwelling place of God is with man. Uh, uh, he will be their God and they will be his people. By the way, if you, it's fascinating to trace that phrase throughout the Bible. As you begin to look at it and you see, uh, you'll see it over and over again of God dealing with uh, Adam, God dealing with Abraham, God dealing with the Israelites, all these people. Like part of, 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 of God's goal and purposes, uh, this, this isn't complex at all, is that he would be God and he would have a people who treat him as God. But what do we, what do we see all throughout history and all through the creation, fall, redemption, proclamation? What we see is the failure of humanity in that equation. Does Adam act in, in a way that reflects that he has a God and he his his son? No. Does Israel act that way? They fail. Does the kingly line of, of, of David accomplish it? 
Not until we get to Christ. So, so we have here, here finally, God dwelling with man, functioning as God, and they as his people. He is the righteous one. The reason why righteousness dwells there is because God dwells there. And then those who have been made righteous by the Lamb enter in as well. Uh, Fourthly, this expectation for the new heaven and the new earth motivates holy and godly living. We looked at that in in 1 Peter 3 just briefly. uh, But hear this in, in, in Revelation 22, which comes right after Revelation 21, which we just read. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. There is a time coming when those who serve and worship God will get to see him face to face and in person. When the place that God prepares for those who love and long him, long for him appears, when the, the kingdom is fully made manifest. Um, by the way, a, a couple of notes, that it, and this is based on uh, questions I get as I deal with it. One of them is is kind of, uh, you know, is there going to be time in heaven? You know, or, or, or are we going to be kind of existing without that? Uh, my answer is, is there's going to be time in, in heaven, in the new heavens, in the new earth. Uh, sometimes that's returned, referred to as the eternal state, but I don't think it is a timeless state. I do believe God exists outside of time. Uh, I believe He created time, uh, even though there's no sun in the in the uh, in, in this uh, new Jerusalem, in this new heavens, in this new earth. Uh, I still believe there's time. One of the reasons why it comes from the passage we just read, and it, it says it, it says in this that there is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. So that, to me, shows that there's some passage of time that exists in this new state. So uh, what are we passing our time doing? We are, are I, I think, in continually filling ourselves on the fullness of the glory of God. We progress for all eternity closer to that, but we are never filled by it because you can't drink that fountain dry. You can't exhaust that source. We will be worshiping Him. We will see Him face to face.
this passage says, his servants will worship him. One of the most humbling things to recognize is that Christ has called us to be his servants. If we fully understand who Christ is, we ought to recognize how unworthy we are to serve him. He is a holy and a majestic and a glorious king. All things are made by and through and for him. We are wretched and sinful and rebellious and doubtful and faithless people. We have no right to serve him. It says his servants will worship him. If that wasn't enough, if it wasn't enough to draw in just as a servant to offer your praises to him, it says they will, the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Christ will reign, but he has called us to reign with him. Under him and for him. Saints, the grace of God, the goodness of God, the glory of God is manifest in heaven. This is our destiny. Are you living in light of it? Are you pursuing a life worthy of the one for whom all things were created and to whom everything owes its life. I hope you look forward to and long for the day. And I hope you depend upon the power and the goodness of God and the grace of God to prepare and purify you for the time when everything will be shaken, when the heavens and the earth will dissolve and He will bring about a new heavens and a new earth where God will rule and reign and we will be his people forevermore.